Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories and Black Beauty by Anna Sewell. Today, chapters 5 through 8, beginning with chapter 5, A Fair Start. The name of the coachman was John Manley. He had a wife and one little child, and they lived in the coachman's cottage, very near the stables. The next morning he took me into the yard and gave me a good grooming, and just as I was going into my box, with my coat soft and bright, the squire came in to look at me, and seemed pleased. "'John,' he said, "'I meant to have tried the new horse this morning, but I have other business. You may as well take him around after breakfast. Go by the common and the highwood, and back by the watermill on the river. That will show his paces.' "'I will, sir,' said John." After breakfast he came and fitted me with a bridle. He was very particular in letting out and taking in the straps to fit my head comfortably. Then he brought a saddle, but it was not broad enough for my back. He saw it in a minute and went for another, which fitted nicely. He rode me first slowly, then a trot, then a canter, and when we were on the common he gave me a light touch with his whip, and we had a splendid gallop. "'Ho, ho, my boy,' he said, as he pulled me up. "'You would like to follow the hounds, I think.' "'As we came back through the park, "'we met the squire and Mrs. Gordon walking. "'They stopped, and John jumped off. "'Well, John, how does it go?' First rate sir,' answered John. "'He is as fleet as a deer, and has a fine spirit, too. "'But the lightest touch of the rain will guide him. "'Down at the end of the common "'we met one of those travelling carts "'hung all over with baskets, rugs, and such like. "'You know, sir,' "'Many horses will not pass those carts quietly. "'He just took a good look at it "'and then went on as quiet and pleasant as could be. "'They were shooting rabbits near the highwood, "'and a gun went off close by. "'He pulled up a little and looked, "'but did not stir a step to right or left. "'I just held the rein steady and did not hurry him, "'and it's my opinion he has not been frightened "'or ill-used while he was young. "'That's well,' said the squire. "'I will try him myself to-morrow.' The next day I was brought up for my master. I remembered my mother's counsel and my good old master's, and I tried to do exactly what he wanted me to do. I found he was a very good rider, and thoughtful for his horse, too. When he came home, the lady was at the hall door as he rode up. "'Well, my dear,' she said, "'how do you like him?' "'He's exactly what John said,' he replied. "'A pleasanter creature I never wished him out. "'What shall we call him?' "'Would you like ebony?' "'said she. "'He is as black as ebony.' "'No, not ebony. "'Will you call him Blackbird, "'like your uncle's old horse? "'He's far handsomer than old Blackbird ever was.' "'Yes,' she said. "'He is really quite a beauty, "'and he has such a sweet, good-tempered face "'and such a fine, intelligent eye. "'What do you say to calling him Black Beauty?' "'Black Beauty? "'Why, yes,' "'I think that's a very good name. "'If you like it, it shall be his name.' "'And so it was. "'When John went into the stable, "'he told James that master and mistress "'had chosen a good, sensible English name for me. "'That meant something, "'not like Marengo or Pegasus or Abdallah. "'They both laughed, and James said, "'If it was not for bringing back the past, "'I should have named him Rob Roy, "'for I never saw two horses more alike.' "'That's no wonder,' said John. "'Didn't you know that Farmer Gray's old duchess "'was the mother of them both?' 
I had never heard that before. And so poor Rob Roy, who was killed at that hunt, was my brother. I did not wonder that my mother was so troubled. It seems that horses have no relations. At least they never know each other after they're sold. John seemed very proud of me. He used to make my mane and tail almost as smooth as a lady's hair, and he would talk to me a great deal. Of course, I did not understand all he said, but I learned more and more to know what he meant and what he wanted me to do. I grew very fond of him. He was so gentle and kind. He seemed to know just how a horse feels. When he brushed my head, he went as carefully over my eyes as if they were his own, and never stirred up any ill temper. James Howard, the stable boy, was just as gentle and pleasant in his way, so I thought myself well off. There was another man who helped in the yard, but he had very little to do with Ginger and me. A few days after this I had to go out with Ginger in the carriage. I wondered how we should get on together, but except laying her ears back when I was led up to her, she behaved very well. She did her work honestly, and did her full share, and I never wished to have a better partner in double harness. When we came to a hill, instead of slackening her pace, she would throw her weight right into the collar and pull away straight up. We had both the same sort of courage at our work, and John had oftener to hold us in than to urge us forward. He never had to use the whip with either of us. Then our paces were much the same, and I found it very easy to keep step with her when trotting, which made it pleasant, and Master always liked it when we kept step well, and so did John. After we had been out two or three times together, we grew quite friendly and sociable, which made me feel very much at home. As for Merrylegs, he and I soon became great friends. He was such a cheerful, plucky, good-tempered little fellow that he was a favorite with everyone, and especially with Miss Jessie and Flora, who used to ride him about in the orchard and have fine games with him and their little dog Frisky. Our master had two other horses that stood in another stable. One was Justice, a roan cob, used for riding or for the luggage cart. The other was an old brown hunter named Sir Oliver. He was past work now, but was a great favorite with the master, who gave him the run of the park. He sometimes did a little light carting on the estate, or carried one of the young ladies when they rode out with their father, for he was very gentle, and could be trusted with a child as well as Merrylegs. The cob was a strong, well-made, good-tempered horse, and we sometimes had a little chat in the paddock. But, of course, I could not be so intimate with him as with Ginger, who stood in the same stable. We'll return with Chapter 6 right after these sponsor messages. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. And now, Chapter 6 of Anna Sewell's Black Beauty. Liberty. I was quite happy in my new place, and if there was one thing that I missed, it must not be thought that I was discontented. All who had to do with me were good, and I had a light, airy stable and the best of food. What more could I want? Why, liberty. For three years and a half of my life, I had had all the liberty I could wish for. But now, week after week, month after month, and no doubt, year after year, I must stand up in a stable night and day except when I'm wanted. And then I must be just as steady and quiet as any old horse who has worked twenty years. Straps here and straps there, a bit in my mouth and blinkers over my eyes. Now, I am not complaining, for I know it must be so. I only mean to say that for a young horse full of strength and spirits, who has been used to some large field or plain where he can fling up his head and toss up his tail and gallop away at full speed, then round and back again with a snort to his companions. I say it is hard never to have a bit more liberty to do as you like. Sometimes, when I've had less exercise than usual, I have felt so full of life and spring that when John has taken me out to exercise, I really could not keep quiet, do what I would. It seemed as if I must jump, or dance, or prance. And many a good shake I know I must have given him, especially at the first. But he was always good and patient. Steady, steady, my boy, he would say. Wait a bit, and we will have a good swing, and soon get the tickle out of your feet. Then as soon as we were out of the village, he would give me a few miles at a spanking trot, and then bring me back as fresh as before, only clear of the fidgets, as he called them. Spirited horses, when not enough exercised, are often called skittish. But when it is only play, and some grooms will punish them. But our John did not. He knew it was only high spirits. Still, he had his own ways of making me understand by the tone of his voice or the touch of the rein. If he was very serious and quite determined, I always knew it by his voice, and that had more power with me than anything else, for I was very fond of him. I ought to say that sometimes we had our liberty for a few hours. This used to be on fine Sundays in the summertime. The carriage never went out on Sundays, because the church was not far off. It was a great treat to us to be turned out into the home paddock or the old orchard. The grass was so cool and soft to our feet, the air so sweet, and the freedom to do as we liked was so pleasant, to gallop, to lie down, and roll over on our backs, or to nibble the sweet grass. Then it was a very good time for talking, as we stood together under the shade of the large chestnut tree. Chapter 7. Ginger One day when Ginger and I were standing alone in the shade, we had a great deal of talk. She wanted to know all about my bringing up and breaking in, and I told her. Well, said she, 
"'If I had had your bringing up, "'I might have had as good a temper as you. "'But now I don't believe I ever shall.' "'Why not?' I said. "'Because it has been all so different with me,' she replied. "'I never had any one, horse or man, "'that was kind to me, or that I cared to please. "'For in the first place I was taken from my mother "'as soon as I was weaned, "'and put with a lot of other young colts. "'None of them cared for me, "'and I cared for none of them. "'There was no kind master like yours to look after me, "'and talk to me, and bring me nice things to eat.' THE MAN THAT HAD THE CARE OF US NEVER GAVE ME A KIND WORD IN MY LIFE. I DO NOT MEAN THAT HE ILL-USED ME, BUT HE DID NOT CARE FOR US ONE BIT FURTHER THAN TO SEE THAT WE HAD PLENTY TO EAT AND SHELTER IN THE WINTER. A FOOTPATH RAN THROUGH OUR FIELD, AND VERY OFTEN THE GREAT BOYS PASSING THROUGH WOULD FLING STONES TO MAKE US GALLOP. I WAS NEVER HIT, BUT ONE FINE YOUNG COLT WAS BADLY CUT IN THE FACE, AND I SHOULD THINK IT WOULD BE A SCAR FOR LIFE. WE DID NOT CARE FOR THEM, but of course it made us more wild, and we settled it in our minds that boys were our enemies. We had very good fun in the free meadows, galloping up and down and chasing each other round and round the field, then standing still under the shade of the trees. But when it came to breaking in, that was a bad time for me. Several men came to catch me, and when at last they closed me in at one corner of the field, one caught me by the forelock, another caught me by the nose, "'and held it so tight I could hardly draw my breath. "'Then another took my underjaw in his hard hand "'and wrenched my mouth open. "'And so by force they got on the halter "'and the bar into my mouth. "'Then one dragged me along by the halter, "'another flogging behind. "'And this was the first experience I had of men's kindness. "'It was all force. "'They did not give me a chance to know what they wanted. "'I was high-bred and had a great deal of spirit.' and was very wild, no doubt, and gave them, I dare say, plenty of trouble. But then it was dreadful to be shut up in a stall day after day instead of having my liberty, and I fretted and pined and wanted to get loose. You know yourself, it's bad enough when you have a kind master and plenty of coaxing, but there was nothing of that sort for me. There was one, the old master, Mr. Ryder, who, I think, could soon have brought me round, "'and could have done anything with me. "'But he had given up all the hard part of the trade "'to his son and to another experienced man, "'and he only came at times to oversee. "'His son was a strong, tall, bold man. "'They called him Samson, "'and he used to boast that he had never found a horse "'that could throw him. "'There was no gentleness in him, "'as there was in his father, "'but only hardness, a hard voice, a hard eye, a hard hand.' and I felt from the first that what he wanted was to wear all the spirit out of me, and just make me into a quiet, humble, obedient piece of horse-flesh. Yes, that is all that he thought about. And Ginger stamped her foot as if the very thought of him made her angry. Then she went on. If I did not do exactly what he wanted, he would get put out, and make me run round with that long rein in the training field till he had tired me out. I think he drank a good deal, and I'm quite sure that the oftener he drank, the worse it was for me. One day he had worked me hard in every way he could, and when I lay down I was tired, and miserable, and angry. It all seemed so hard. The next morning he came for me early, and ran me round again for a long time. 
I had scarcely had an hour's rest, when he came again for me with a saddle and bridle and a new kind of bit. I could never quite tell how it came about. He had only just mounted me on the training ground, when something I did put him out of temper, and he chucked me hard with the rein. The new bit was very painful, and I reared up suddenly, which angered him still more, and he began to flog me. I felt my whole spirit set against him, and I began to kick and plunge and rear as I'd never done before, and we had a regular fight. For a long time he stuck to the saddle and punished me cruelly with his whip and spurs. But my blood was thoroughly up, and I cared for nothing he could do if only I could get him off. At last, after a terrible struggle, I threw him off backward. I heard him fall heavily on the turf, and without looking behind me, I galloped off to the other end of the field. There I turned round and saw my persecutors slowly rising from the ground and going into the stable. I stood under an oak tree and watched, but no one came to catch me. The time went on, and the sun was very hot. The flies swarmed round me and settled on my bleeding flanks where the spurs had dug in. I felt hungry, for I had not eaten since the early morning, but there was not enough grass in that meadow for a goose to live on. I wanted to lie down and rest, but with the saddle strapped tightly on there was no comfort, and there was not a drop of water to drink. The afternoon wore on, and the sun got low. I saw the other colts let in, and I knew they were having a good feed. At last, just as the sun went down, I saw the old master come out with a sieve in his hand. He was a very fine old gentleman with quite white hair, but his voice was what I should know him by among a thousand. It was not high, nor yet low, but full and clear and kind, and when he gave orders it was so steady and decided that everyone knew, both horses and men, that what he expected would be obeyed. He came quietly along, now and then shaking the oats about that he had in the sieve, and speaking cheerfully and gently to me. "'Come along, lassie. Come along, lassie. Come along.' I stood still and let him come up. He held the oats to me, and I began to eat without fear. His voice took all my fear away. He stood by, patting and stroking me while I was eating, and seeing the clots of blood on my side, he seemed very vexed. "'Poor lassie! It was a bad business! A bad business!' Then he quietly took the rein and led me to the stable. Just at the door stood Samson. I laid my ears back and snapped at him. "'Dan back!' said the master. "'And keep out of her way. "'You've done a bad day's work for this filly.' "'He growled out something about a vicious brute. "'Hark ye,' said the father. "'A bad-tempered man will never make a good-tempered horse. "'You've not learned your trade yet, Samson.' "'Then he led me into my box, "'took off the saddle and bridle with his own hands, "'and tied me up. "'Then he called for a pail of warm water and a sponge, "'took off his coat,' and while the stableman held the pail, he sponged my sides a good while, so tenderly that I was sure he knew how sore and bruised they were. "'Whoa, my pretty one,' he said. "'Stand still. Stand still.' His very voice did me good, and the bathing was very comfortable. The skin was so broken at the corners of my mouth that I couldn't eat the hay. The stalks hurt me. He looked closely at it, shook his head, "'and told the man to fetch a good bran mash "'and put some meal into it. "'How good that mash was! 
"'and so soft and healing to my mouth. "'He stood by all the time I was eating, "'stroking me and talking to the man. "'If a high-mettled creature like this,' said he, "'can't be broken by fair means, "'she'll never be good for anything.' "'After that he often came to see me, "'and when my mouth was healed the other breaker, "'Job, they called him, went on training me. "'He was steady and thoughtful, "'and I soon learned what he wanted.' Our final chapter today, Chapter 8, Ginger's Story Continued. The next time that Ginger and I were together in the paddock, she told me about her first place. After my breaking in, she said, I was bought by a dealer to match another chestnut horse. For some weeks he drove us together, and then we were sold to a fashionable gentleman and were sent up to London. I had been driven with a check rein by the dealer, "'and I hated it worse than anything else. "'But in this place we were reined far tighter, "'the coachman and his master "'thinking we looked more stylish that way. "'We were often driven about in the park "'and other fashionable places. "'You who never had a check rein on "'don't know what it is, "'but I can tell you it is dreadful. "'I like to toss my head about "'and hold it as high as any horse. "'But fancy now yourself, "'if you tossed your head up high "'and were obliged to hold it there, and that for hours together, not able to move it at all, except with a jerk still higher, your neck aching till you did not know how to bear it. Besides that, to have two bits instead of one, and mine was a sharp one, it hurt my tongue and my jaw, and the blood from my tongue colored the froth that kept flying from my lips as I shaped and fretted at the bits and rain. It was worse when we had to stand by the hour waiting for a mistress at some grand party or entertainment. "'and if I fretted or stamped with impatience, "'the whip was laid on me. "'It was enough to drive one mad. "'Did not your master take any thought for you?' I said. "'No,' said she. "'He only cared to have a stylish turnout, as they call it. "'I think he knew very little about horses. "'He left that to his coachman, "'who told him I had an irritable temper, "'that I had not been well broken into the check-rein, "'but I should soon get used to it. "'but he was not the man to do it, "'for when I was in the stable, "'miserable and angry, "'instead of being smoothed and quieted by kindness, "'I got only a surly word or a blow. "'If he had been civil, "'I would have tried to bear it. "'I was willing to work, "'and ready to work hard, too. "'But to be tormented for nothing but their fancies "'angered me. "'What right had they to make me suffer like that? "'Besides the soreness in my mouth "'and the pain in my neck, "'It always made my windpipe feel bad, "'and if I had stopped there long, "'I knew it would have spoiled my breathing, "'but I grew more and more restless and irritable. "'I couldn't help it, "'and I began to snap and kick "'when anyone came to harness me. "'For this the groom beat me, "'and one day, as they had just buckled us into the carriage "'and were straining my head up with that rein, "'I began to plunge and kick with all my might. "'I soon broke a lot of harness,' "'and kicked myself clear. "'So that was an end of that place. "'After that I was sent to Tattersall's to be sold. "'Of course I could not be warranted free from vice, "'so nothing was said about that. "'My handsome appearance and good paces "'soon brought a gentleman to bid for me, "'and I was bought by another dealer. "'He tried me in all kinds of ways "'and with different bits, "'and he soon found out what I could not bear. "'At last he drove me quite without a check-rein, and then sold me as a perfectly quiet horse to a gentleman in the country, 
"'He was a good master, and I was getting on very well. "'But his old groom left him, and a new one came. "'This man was as hard-tempered and hard-handed as Samson. "'He always spoke in a rough, impatient voice, "'and if I did not move in the stall the moment he wanted me, "'he would hit me above the hocks with his stable broom or the fork, "'whichever he might have in his hand. "'Everything he did was rough, and I began to hate him. "'He wanted to make me afraid of him, "'but I was too high-mettled for that, "'and one day, when he had aggravated me more than usual, "'I bit him, which, of course, put him in a great rage, "'and he began to hit me about the head with a riding-whip. "'After that he never dared to come into my stall again. "'Either my heels or my teeth were ready for him, "'and he knew it. "'I was quite quiet with my master, "'but, of course, he listened to what the man said, "'and so I was sold again. "'The same dealer heard of me, "'and said he thought he knew one place where I should do well. "'Twas a pity,' he said, "'that such a fine horse should go to the bad, "'for want of a real good chance.' "'and the end of it was that I came here not long before you did. "'But I had then made up my mind that men were my natural enemies "'and that I must defend myself. "'Of course it is very different here, "'but who knows how long it will last. "'I wish I could think about things as you do, but I can't, "'after all I've gone through.' "'Well,' I said, "'I think it would be a real shame if you were to bite or kick John or James.' "'I don't mean to,' she said. "'Well, they are good to me. "'I did bite James once pretty sharp, "'but John said, "'Try her with kindness. "'And instead of punishing me as I expected, "'James came to me with his arm bound up "'and brought me a bran mash and stroked me. "'And I've never snapped at him since, "'and I won't either.' "'I was sorry for Ginger, "'but of course I knew very little then, "'and I thought most likely she made the worst of it. "'However,' I found that as the weeks went on, she grew much more gentle and cheerful, and had lost the watchful, defiant look that she used to turn on any strange person who came near her. And one day James said, I do believe that mare is getting fond of me. She quite whinnied after me this morning when I'd been rubbing her forehead. Aye, aye, Jim, tis the Birtwick balls, said John. She'll be as good as black beauty by and by. Kindness is all the physic she wants, poor thing. "'Master noticed the change, too. "'And one day when he got out of the carriage "'and came to speak to us, as he often did, "'he stroked her beautiful neck. "'Well, my pretty one, well, "'how do things go with you now? "'You are a good bit happier than when you came to us, I think.' "'She put up her nose to him in a friendly, trustful way, "'while he rubbed it gently. "'We shall make a cure of her, John,' he said. "'Yes, sir, she's wonderfully improved.' "'and she's not the same creature that she was. "'It's the Birtwick ball, sir,' said John, laughing. "'This was a little joke of John's. "'He used to say that a regular course of the Birtwick horse balls "'would cure almost any vicious horse. "'These balls, he said, were made up of patience and gentleness, "'firmness and petting, "'one pound of each to be mixed up with half a pint of common sense, "'and given to the horse every day.' Thanks for joining us for chapters 5 through 8 of Anna Sewell's Black Beauty. If you're enjoying our story, please do stop a moment and give us a review for 1001 Greatest Love Stories. You might think it unusual for the autobiography of a horse to be counted as a love story, but as you can see, horses and humans can go together very, very well. 
It just takes a lot of love. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Greatest Love Stories. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back next Sunday at 12 noon Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.